0: Hi, this is David Pepos, the writer of Spencer and & Locke, and you're listening to Adrian Has Issues.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to Adrian Has Issues. Today, I'm speaking with one of my favorite people to talk to. He is a Brooklyn-based writer, illustrator, and publisher behind Forward Comics, which if you aren't aware of Forward Comics, please do yourself a favor and familiarize yourself with their content because there's a lot of great stuff. And um, he's been on the show twice before speaking about two of those projects. Um, The first time he was on, there was an episode entitled You Don't Know Jack, in which we talked about the graphic novel series Nowhere Man. And we were just talking before the show about an episode that we had done entitled From Foreign Lands, about an uh, anthology entitled Guan, which was a comic anthology telling stories about the immigration experience. And uh, we had some other great guests, Paul Kajegi from Australia, and uh, I believe it was Ariana Mao from uh, Canada, and we had a great chat. That was a lot of fun. It's been a while since we did that episode. That was about a year ago. But in that time, Forward Comics has been making great strides in terms of not only just the increase in volume of product, but also just um, obviously some very great accolades. You've been getting recognized by Glyph Comics Awards, Imagine FX Magazine, uh, Society of Illustrators, and the Independent Publisher Book Awards. And with this coming year, 2018, Forward Comics is going to be making a even bigger push, and that's going to be dealing with a little bit of a Kickstarter campaign which is what we're going to be talking about tonight. But please welcome back to the show, Jerome Walford. Jerome, welcome back. How are you?
0: It's really good to be here with you. You know, um, I really actually enjoy these episodes because I find that, uh, you know, your show is just really relaxing to be on. And it's nice to be on with uh, podcast hosts who, you know, are familiar with the work. And so we can sort of just dive in and talk about what's going on. But it's always great to to be here with you, Adrian.
1: Thank you. Yeah, cuz I actually started out as a fan first, you know, having met you at a couple of conventions and reading Nowhere Man. I was a very big fan of it. So, I guess we had a already sort of had like this great rapport and also just well congratulations cuz like I said before, you've had so many accolades and so many great awards and people recognizing your work with both Forward Comics and Nowhere Man and especially Guan which again, that I think was one of my favorite things that you've done because it touched on a subject that I believe so many people weren't aware of, but it was presented in a, a fantastic way. So you know, thank you for that.
0: Yeah, sure. It's it's been um, a really busy year, you know,
1: in, in <laughs> a good way uh,
0: because you know we just um, had no idea that Guan would really take off the way it did, and so it really um, I think was a, a a project that we started up because it was personable and relatable. Um, but we didn't realize how timely it would be. And, and uh, you know, I think a lot of people sort of embraced it because it was such a, a really positive and comprehensive take on the immigrant experience from from people who are immigrants themselves, you right? Know, people who have members in their families. So uh, it gave them a chance to uh, speak in their own voice about their own experiences. And so, I, I, you know, I, I personally was really glad to just be a part of that process to help people uh, have a platform to talk about their own family stories and their own journeys.
1: Fresh off the heels of Guan and all these other things, you've now decided to take that energy and propel you forward with this new initiative. Your Kickstarter, while it may be one campaign, there's four various projects that are entailed in it. So what was it that inspired you to then make this next big leap in terms of forward comics?
0: I felt that we had a lot of momentum coming off the Guan project that there were a lot of things that we learned from that process. A few things that we learned was that I I think it's sort of always been sort of like the unspoken truth about forward comics, you know, even though it's been sort of me being the sort of the face of it, but we really have over the years had some really great input from the editorial team, you know, which includes Maya Rock and Rebecca Griffin Green who um, have just been really uh, incredible in terms of helping the project to be really polished. So you know, rather than sort of just saying, hey, it's just a one-man show, you know, here's Jerome uh, publishing all this work, you know, it kind of gave me the opportunity to kind of just rethink how I was sort of proposing it and pitching this whole idea of what, what's happening here. Uh, and the truth of the matter is, is that it's, it's not just a one-man show. I think in order for us to kind of really learn and embrace the lessons that we, we gained from doing the Guan project was that the more collaborative it is, the better. Right. By myself, I can probably get one Solid project done, but if I had sort of a, a collaborative perspective from the onset, you know, how much can be done in a, in a, a much shorter period of time? So, how many projects can we do in, in, in a year? And uh, so it kind of naturally came about. I realized, yeah, we could probably tackle four projects if I had the opportunity to bring on my editorial team and um, some other folks to kind of work on these different projects with me. So, yeah, I I thought rather than doing one project, let's just go for four, you know, (laughs) it's happened very quickly, Um, you know, so with the earlier projects, so so for example, with Nowhere Man, you know, I would sort of get my editors involved fairly late in the process, but now we're, we're getting them involved much earlier in the process, and they're having a lot more input, a lot more say in terms of just crafting the plot and crafting the story to make sure it's even more pause before it actually gets to the actual drawn pages. So yeah, forward comics is, is kind of growing, you know, <laughs> it's, it's learning how to think and, and function like a, a full fledged uh, small press publisher. Right. Yeah. I'm thinking through this campaign now is, is sort of like we, we usually launch a campaign when we have a project really, really far along. And, and these projects are pretty far along at this point, but just kind of saying, here's what's really happening behind the scenes. And, and how do we sort of say that in a much more clear uh, and distinctive way Uh, with a campaign. And so with this campaign, we want to say, yeah, there are four projects on the slate for next year. And, you know, here are the people that are are involved from the very beginning Uh, and sort of giving that the opportunity to be be a way to kind of just talk more clearly about what's happening with our venture.
1: I guess we should get right into the actual projects. And I figured since this is probably, well, my personal favorite, but also just one that, you know, I'm glad to see continuing is, uh, of course, Nowhere Man. This is the third volume of this graphic novel. So I don't know if you want to give at least a little bit of elevator pitch for some people who may not know what Nowhere Man is all about.
0: Sure. So in a nutshell, um, Nowhere Man follows Detective Jack McGuire, who is the son of a fallen 9-11 hero. His dad was a legend uh, on that day. Um, And so according to how the story goes, he, he basically lost his life on that day saving, uh, you know, tens of people, tens of, and you know, of people being involved in that rescue effort. Um, and so Jack kind of lives with that legacy, you know, certainly it's a, it's a great legacy, but also it's, it's, it's quite a bit to live up to. And so Jack is kind of this tortured individual where he wants to live up to that memory. So he joins the force, And at this point, he is a detective with the NYPD, but the challenge for him is that he's sort of, uh, sort of trapped in a way, you know, he's trying to live up to that memory, but he's not Doing so well at it, so he's basically on the on the brink of losing his job. But it is soon discovered that he actually, at some point, gained these abilities—these really strange abilities—through the use of technology that happens to be from the future. And part of the struggle for him as a character throughout this entire story is that he could either choose to be a cop or he could choose to be a superhero. He can't be—he can't be both. Right. And uh, it's been a great series to work on. I mean, it's gotten some great response. Um, you know it. Was nominated for three Glyph Comic Awards. It was it was the winner for Best Male Character, and um, it's won some other awards as well. So it's just been a matter of trying to figure out where the story is really going, and sort of allowing things to kind of organically develop. But it's gotten to a point where I sort of feel like things have really come together. Where he's kind of gone through a lot of growth as as a character, and also the other characters throughout the story. Um, so volume three that we're funding through this campaign is going to be a really big uh, moment for the series because it was essentially conceived as a three-volume series. So, in theory, this could be the closer for the entire series.
1: Now, with that said, though, is there any uh, sort of drive to maybe propel the story? Or do you feel that maybe this is a logical closing point? And then, I guess, if you then decide to tell other stories after this, well, you have that ability to.
0: So, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I think, you know, in my initial feeling about where the story is going for this particular character and how the arc was developing was that it was intended to be a miniseries that included about three volumes. And then the story would get to a certain point where you sort of felt like it was resolved in some ways. Way. So, you know, without trying to think how to sort of take it apart and and do more with it, um, I'm going to so, sort of just let the process happen as it, as as it will and let the story happen as it was coming together and as it was kind of initially conceived and just see what happens, see how the audience responds to it and sort of take it from there. But I think uh, the emotional content of what happens in volume three will be very significant because a a few things will happen. certainly you will sort of see Jack sort of in some way embrace the mantle of what it means to be a superhero. Like he will fully take that on, you know, not just physically, but also emotionally too. Um, which has been sort of like his dilemma as a character for the entire series. And you'll also see a really big reveal about two of the characters in the story that we have been sort of following along with as well for Rose, Yancey, his often on again partner and uh, love interest, and also Karis, which is this really mysterious character from We Think It's the Future. And uh, so, yeah, these two characters will have some really big moments in this, in this uh, upcoming volume. I think that will kind of help the story along in a certain way to kind of really get to the initial planned, uh, you know, resolve for the volume. So it's going to be a really big moment for, <laughs> for the series. In one way, I, I really don't want to let go of this character because, he's, you know, he's meant so much to me over the years. Right. And, and in some ways, it's because of this character, I kind of feel his personality and his story to be really compelling. So, uh, to kind of say goodbye to Jack, you know, will be very, very tough for me.
1: (laughs) I can imagine. I mean, like I said, Nowhere Man has been a very big part of Forward Comics, and that has been a driving force. And I don't even want to see it end. That's uh, such a fun series of a bunch of great characters. But I also do know that what you also managed to do was build in, you know, these two volumes, well, I guess now three, is pretty much built this living, breathing world that is pretty open-ended that you know if you wanted to go on and maybe tell stories within this universe even if they aren't necessarily related to jack i feel like there's some great potential for like further stories should you ever be inspired to do so
0: i mean there's there's some great characters that you know certainly get a good amount of space in the the volume but yeah i mean they they could certainly have a life beyond that so i'm not making any plans but we'll, we'll see what happens i think Again, I I feel really, really um, attached to the No Man series. And I think, you know, I'm really hoping that that it does well. I really hope that uh, this Volume 3 will be something that fans will embrace. Because in many ways, it's constructed to be something that is fairly contained in the sense that if someone's really new to the series, and they kind of feel like, oh, they don't want to necessarily go back too far, they can sort of really jump in. And there's enough of an outline or a sketch of what's going on so they don't feel totally lost so they can really enjoy it. And so i say, oh, wow, I kind of felt like I sort of jumped right in the middle, but then there was enough for me to go on to really get a lot out of it. Uh, that being said, people who have been fans for a long time, I think they're just going to really love it. I mean, I, I really hope so, because I put a lot of effort into making sure that they get really big payoffs for being fans for a long time. So even the way that the plot is wired, there's a lot of echoes back to even the very first volume, Where people are going to be like, oh, yeah, I remember when it was kind of like this or when this plot or this this subpoint was developing and it kind of has a payoff when they get to volume three. They're like, oh, yeah, wow. So that's why this happened or that sequence was there. They're going to get a lot of those, you know, really big payoffs uh, in volume three.
1: Something that you have done with Forward Comics is. You know, while you are a publisher, you've created a couple of projects that are not just strictly comic books. Also on this Kickstarter, you have a novel titled Revolting.
0: Revolting will be the second book in a literary novel series uh, called Curse of the Griffin. Um, We published the first uh, book in the series. You know, gosh, I want to say it's at least two years ago now. And it's intended to be a trilogy. So the Curse of the Griffin series is... So this epic tale that uh, follows a um, starving artist uh, living in a small town that's ran by vampires.
1: (laughs) Wow.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So it's kind of like a familiar in some ways in the sense that, you know, uh, for those who love urban supernatural stuff or vampires, I think they're going to really embrace it right away. But also it is a bit unfamiliar because we're basically rewriting the mythology of how vampires came to be. And what we've done is that we basically created a, a, a realm or a world where uh, vampires are a part of the larger high fantasy mythology. So you have magic, you have gargoyles, you have other kinds of creatures that live in this world and they're all of this sort of seamless existence. And certainly there's a sort of an epic struggle between all these different uh, kinds of beings and vampires just happen to be one of them. So in the very first book it it centers around this kid, but then you also get this sense that this the world is fairly large and it's a matter of just trying to explore beyond the very small confines of that town to see just how big that world is.
1: You could have easily done a comic much like you did with Nowhere Man, but what was it about building this world that you felt that this was the perfect way to tell it?
0: I feel like a literary novel is, is a is a, a better vehicle for um, a story like Christopher the Griffin because one because it is it is so epic. I think there are certain things that would have been very challenging to try to capture on a really epic scale in a combo format. It would just t- I think it would have taken a really long time. And so that was kind of the initial motivation. And then when I started to write it as a novel, I, I realized writing a novel is also a lot of work too. <laughs> it's not necessarily easier because there are no pictures, you know, it, it has its own challenges. So, yeah, you know, my my editorial team, both Maya and Re- Rebecca have been really great forces behind uh, making sure that it's really polished. And so, yeah, deciding to go with the novel format, I, th- I think was a really good decision. And it also allowed me to kind of, again, just focus on the craft of writing, too. I think it kind of helped me to realize that forward comics, yeah, comics is kind of in our name. But we can really uh, go beyond the, the confines of that. We can really expand beyond comics into other literary formats because I didn't have to necessarily worry about the visual side of it as much, I could focus on things that I want to really craft. Like the whole mythology within Curse of the Griffin not only introduces a seamless connection between high fantasy and vampires, but we also did one thing which I thought was really cool. We basically created an entirely new mythological beast species that's basically the missing link between vampires and high fantasy. Oh, cool. Uh, So, which I thought was really cool. So... So basically, these creatures are feline-like in nature, but they basically thrive on a um, sort of like a reverse vampire kind of way of developing their features or their, their, their way of life, really. They have a whole entire ceremonial process by which they, they bite creatures to consume the, the, sort of the, a little bit of blood, not too much, so they can then gain the features of that, of that creature, so again it is the reverse right they're not trying to convert someone else or another creature into being a vampire or to being like them it's the other way around they're trying to they're trying to bond they're trying to connect with nature it basically creates this more noble kind of vampire strain if you will
1: Oh wow that sounds crazy
0: <laughs> It's totally kind of crazy in terms of concept and it took a while to kind of figure out how to make that work too So uh one of the things that was was great about Daniel's Pride is that we could basically focus on the the vampire stuff and kind of contain that to that town and that kind of gave me the space to kind of just really think about how this new mythology would work and so basically this new book Revolting is that space where we kind of see that full manifestation of what that world and that realm would would look like and how it would function what what are the rules you know what are kind of the ways that they kind of what kind of ceremonies they have? What kind of how they sort of develop their educational structure and all these things that um, you know need a lot of time to 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 develop and to, to to work out. So essentially, most of the second book is a a focus of being in that world or living in that world and realizing how it functions. And uh, so it was very cool, but it took a while to kind of pull that together.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And it's something that I've spoken to a couple of guests, um, more, most recently, uh, speaking with uh, the group of Neshi Press and their project on uh, Children of Gaia. And we had talked very much about not only how tricky it could be, but also the importance of world building. Cause something with any literary work, especially when you're dealing with high fantasy, you have to sort of set up, you know, the world itself. And that's something that, as much as, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Tolkien. And I remember talking to other people, you know, growing up about, oh, yeah, you know, the Fellowship of the Ring, how, you know, those early chapters, you know, it's establishing this vast world. And you're saying to yourself, this is, you know, it's very intricate and it's very deep. And sometimes you're not even almost entirely sure as to, you know, why that is. But it is perfect because that way, once you establish the world, so once you either, I guess, change it or then, you know, tell the story You now have a sense of place and have a sense of where everything is. So, yeah, I can imagine, you know, setting up the world of revolting, how daunting that must be because you really have to set up everything. So once the story goes forward, no pun intended, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you know exactly where everybody is going and, you know, obviously setting up the rules in your own society.
0: I I think there was probably about 10 to 15 percent in the very beginning that felt really, really clear You know, so essentially, uh, revolting. A large part of it centers around Daniel's dad. So there's sort of this uh, intergenerational thing that happens throughout this particular uh, book in the series. And so, in my mind, it was so crystal clear where the story kind of really takes off is at the point where Daniel's dad is sitting in the great hall, right? He is basically the, the the prince, the you know, the heir apparent to the throne. He's just sitting there, and he. You can sort of tell that he has no idea the weight that carries or the, the amount of responsibility that would entail. Right. He's just sitting there on the day of his ceremony, just kind of just just kind of fooling around, just sort of being, you know, a little spoiled, honestly. And then you, you kind of realize that, you know, he's about to get out there. His mom is about to greet him. And he's about to The big gates are supposed to open and he's supposed to go out there and join his fellow pledges in the ceremony. And he has no idea of how important that is. Um, but, but as the book unfolds, it, it really kind of dives into, you know, um, sort of the consequences that come with that, that legacy and also that responsibility of being the heir apparent. Um, and so through that lens, you begin to realize a lot about the history of that realm and the way things worked or the way things were supposed to work and, and, and why things unfolded the way they did to where not only did he make a lot of mistakes along the way, but he basically jeopardized his own son's potential to to take over after him oh wow so it's, it's it's a very big epic story but also I think what I've tried to do was try to make sure that it moves uh, fairly smoothly so I think one of the things that people really appreciated about the first book was that you know yeah it, it is a lot of world building uh, with that first book that we did but it, it also kind of moved as a pace that where it was focused around the central characters so you sort of felt like it wasn't too much you know it wasn't too overbearing wake is sort of still focused on the characters and what what's happening with them and their motivation for the things that they did.
1: And the next one, this is one that I believe we had touched on the first time you were on the show. Because I believe at the time it was, I guess it was a pilot, of Moon's Ostrich? Yeah, that's right. So now this one, I guess, is going to be a full-fledged graphic novel. So this is going to be really cool to get into this one.
0: Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things where I was sort of having a a what-if moment. And I, I thought through, you know, steampunk is kind of cool and people are really into it but what if I was to do a, a steampunk story how would mine be sort of different how would it have a different flavor and so I was i was actually working on a submission for another uh, anthology and uh, I thought yeah it would be kind of cool to do something that was steampunk related and I, I can sort of remember I was riding the bus and going to I think it was probably a convention actually and I was thinking through what could I do that would be different you know and then I don't know. I was just kind of just struck by this idea of this young girl who's happens to be really bright, you know, basically a, a prodigy um, at mechanical engineering. And she builds something. And it was kind of like, what does she build? And then, I don't know, It was like, she builds an ostrich. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know? it was one of Those moments where like, you know, it's like, where did, where did that come from? I don't know, but it sounds cool. Let's do it. You know? And so, yeah, I, I spent a few weeks after that developing this idea, and then I did this, this pilot issue that was about 10 pages, and uh, the response was great. People really liked it. Anyway, it kind of sat for a little bit because I was trying to figure out exactly what I want to do with the story, but then after thinking through what I want to do next year, I felt, yeah, I really want to spend some time developing the story. And uh, after getting to a certain point with the script, I kind of started saying, you know, I need to get some feedback on this. I need to start... Uh, you know, sending this, this out to, um, you know, to my editors kind of see what they felt about it. Right. And, uh, you know, the, the the response was great. I think they felt that there was something really there, but it needed time to really polish. And so, you know, over this this year, it's been uh, sort of a, uh, a a grueling process of making sure that I get this character right. And uh, maybe that's kind of a pun accidentally because her last name is right, as in uh, W. R-I-G-H-T.
1: <laughs> oh, that's even better. <laughs> you know?
0: my, 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 my mind is still in that world. But uh, but yeah, it's one of those things where I was just spending a lot of time with this character and with the characters that um, are part of the story, trying to figure out how to, to do it in a way that was really compelling and was really unique to this character's point of view. Because she might be really bright uh, when it comes to her academics and... Understanding how mechanical things work, but she's not really good with people. You know, to be honest, she has a difficulty kind of connecting with her peers at school, and and you sort of get a sense from the story that there's sort of this really great relationship that she has with her dad. But you know, she has a lot of issues connecting with her mom because they have very different points of view about what she should be doing with her time, those kind of things. So I think after working on the script for a long time, with you know, again getting a lot of different points of view on what it's like for a girl that age. And, and and her view on the world trying to get that right it, you know it took a while but i think it's there i think it's really there now so we're 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 just cranking away now polishing the script and, and working on pages and i think it's a really good time to introduce this full feature for this character and and the story because i think uh, i think it's gonna do really well and I, i'm really hoping it does well because i think this could also give us a chance not just to show that we can do other material t- as well, but also show that we can do a younger characters, younger, younger material. Because I think the story of Nowhere Man is is, is squarely uh, in the uh, sort of the team plus market. Right. Because that's the way the plot works and the way the, the themes work. But Moon's Oscars is intended to be a middle grade, if not slightly younger than that kind of book. And so it, it needs to kind of have a different voice. It needs to have a different flavor to it. So even though some of the themes are very intense, just the way that we go about it is, you know, is, is a little bit different. So there's a lot of humor. There's a lot of, you know, sort of like uh, witty banter and, 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 and uh, you know, things that works for, for this particular age group, which I, I think it took a while, but I think we're really there. You know, I'm, I'm so I'm really excited about it. And, and I really can't wait to, you know, really unfold what we're doing with this, with this particular book.
1: By the way, kudos to not only just your editorial team, but just good editors in general, (laughs) because without good editors, you know, and not that you don't have great ideas, but it's always great when you have someone who's able to take your concepts, your ideas, your thoughts, and is able to put them together and make them work. So, I mean, if I could just take a moment just to shout out to anybody who is an editor or has done editing and the Ford Comics editing team, because that is a job in and of itself. So, you know, it always takes a, a good mind to kind of put all that together. So definitely, if I were wearing a hat, I would be tipping it right now.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because, you know, a, a, a really good editor sometimes is, is quite invisible to the process, right? You know, they they do their thing and then people are like, oh, this is fantastic, but. They don't really take time to kind of think through, you know, how many different hands were involved in the editorial process or just having one keen person that sort of made sure that the artist didn't wander away too far from what, you know, they were trying to accomplish.
1: Right, exactly.
0: So it's really important. And and having the right feedback at the right time is so helpful too, because you know, having an editor who may not necessarily understand where you're going with the project or might have something different in mind altogether. Could, again, put a lot of strain on the process. Um, so Yeah, it's, it's, definitely. Yeah, it's really important to kind of say, okay, what's this person trying to say and how can I help them say it better? Rather than telling my own vision of what I want to see happen, how can I make sure this person is telling what they want to tell in this particular story? I think it's a really important part of the process.
1: And also, not for nothing, allowing... You know, as a creator, allowing your editorial team or editor, um, depending on how many there are, you know, trusting them to do what they do, because it's hard because sometimes you feel that your vision, like your vision is that like there's no elbow room. You know what I mean? So it's it takes a lot to be able to trust that the person or persons that you're working with can even, you know, that you can trust that they're going to obviously do a good job and also give the respect it deserves. But, you know, and definitely not just necessarily pull it apart and just allow them to let them do what they do, because I know in and of myself or projects I've done, that's hard, too, because sometimes you don't want someone to say, you know, maybe you should try this a different way. And because you don't want them, to be, you know, you, it's hard to have to sit there and have someone kind of, you know, take look at each individual piece, because, again, you don't want to do a terrible job, but also you can be very protective and sometimes you kind of have to let go a little bit.
0: Yeah, you do have to let go because in order for the character to grow, they have to be able to kind of withstand different people looking into what they're like and what their lives are supposed to be like in their story and sort of be able to, to bring something to to that narrative. Yeah, yeah you're so right. I think I've, how this is going to be happening this, this entire episode, I think, you know, the whole right thing, my, my brain just automatically kicks back into uh,
1: <laughs> my story. Honestly, just go with it at this point, you know. <laughs> But um, but yeah,
0: you know, uh, um, you know, I sort of feel like we've gone through that process with Moon's uh, story, Moon's Ostrich, because I remember there was a particular point where we were looking at draft three, maybe, of the script, and uh, I was having a conversation with, with Maya uh, on this, and she was saying, yeah, you know, I understand what you're trying to say, Jerome, but I don't think someone at that age would care about that. You know, and I was I was thinking to myself, that's a really important issue, but she's totally right. I mean, <laughs> a, a, a 10-year-old kid might, they might have some idea that that might be going on, but they wouldn't care about it necessarily. So I had to make some adjustments just to make sure that I understood that as a as a 10-year-old girl, um, her priorities would be totally different. Even right. if that's really important, she might not necessarily care about or have enough grasp of it to realize that that she should care about it. You know, even if it is important, she wouldn't realize that she should care about it because it's just not part of the scope of what she cares about on a day-to-day basis. Well, yeah, we had to completely rewrite that, that section to make sure that it it, again was, was true to her point of view. Um, So I, I'm really excited about the script now. I think it's, has a lot of elements that I really liked in the beginning, but it also has lots of new things that I, I wouldn't have thought of the first, even in the first or second draft of the script. It just wouldn't have happened because my mind was not in that place. But I think it is now, and so I guess for someone who's sort of thinking through this and trying to figure out if this is going to be a story that they would like, I would say if if you uh, are familiar with Steamboy, that anime, yep, this would be. I mean, this would be a perfect fit. You would love it because. It has a lot of that, again, that idea that you have these really young characters who are in um, a world that's changing very quickly with very unscrupulous uh, adult characters who are just, you know, doing things that could essentially ruin their world, but somehow they kind of just thrown it into it and they're trying to figure out how to do what they think is best for themselves or for, for their families, essentially. I'm really excited about doing my sort of take or my kind of spin on the steampunk genre.
1: So, with that, there's also a fourth project, which I'm um, a little cryptic about this one, which has only made me more excited, but there's a, a fourth project that you're planning to announce, but not just yet. So, I don't know if you can at least give us just a little bit of a taste as to what we can expect with this fourth project that'll be involved in a Kickstarter.
0: yeah, let's let's talk about it. So this fourth project, I've been sort of playing it close because uh, it's a relatively new project. When I look at the lineup for uh, next year, it, it's something that we've been working on, or well, I've been working on personally for a while, honestly, off and on for about, about a year at least, m- maybe even a year and a half. And so I, I felt that it was time for me to just sort of go for it um, with this particular uh, fourth project, because in a, in a sense, the the character, the central character, was, was really compelling for a number of reasons. And it, it allowed me to kind of explore some themes that, I got to touch on some of the, my earlier work, but I haven't really gotten a chance to really dive into. Right. But I, you know, I sort of t- thought to myself, should I do three or go for four? <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, that's four, four kind of like, okay, four forward comics. So that works. So let's, let's do four. So yeah, this fourth project will be a really unique opportunity for me because essentially it will allow me to not only work on a project that I've had in mind for a while, but also give me the opportunity kind of to step back and just focus primarily on being the writer and, uh, and creator, and then be able to work in, in sort of like a, a team, a much more team and collaborative way than I have with any other project. So I was lucky enough to convince kid and white to step in and be, um, the artist for the interior. So. I'm sure most of your fans know who he is, but for those who don't, uh, Ken Kenan White is an amazing artist who has done a lot of really incredible work. So he he did the artwork for Hell Hellfighters, for Uber. Um, he's done covers for Image. His most recent work is Son of Shaolin, which he's doing really great right now.
1: Yeah, I've been looking at some of the art as incredible.
0: Yeah, and so I mean, he's just really upping his game recently. I mean, he's already been a really great artist, but you know, e- you know, even more recently, his work has just been really stunning. So, you know, I-, I thought to myself, you know, first of all, I need to find a way to kind of step back so I can sort of just think about the vision of forward comics. I think that's a, a really important role that I haven't really gotten a chance to really just do. Just kind of just step back from all the the work and just sort of say, where do I see this thing going? And then in the process of doing that, I kind of realized, yeah. Even if I, I want the, the the venture to stay really small, I, I don't think it's really feasible or reasonable for me to say that I'm going to do everything myself, right? And so right. In, in, in what we are talking about earlier, just kind of like backing up from the editorial process instead of saying, okay, I, I have some editorial skill, but I need really strong editors to, to be involved with that. And looking at the other side too and saying, okay, I, I love doing the artwork, but is there a way for me to work with someone who I really admire? And so this opportunity to work with Canon is, is just almost a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity so I you know as soon as he said yes I was like (laughs) I'm gonna go for it because I you know he's very busy right now so you know I I figured let's go for it while he has a a small opening so yeah I really can't say too much but I'm just gonna say this it's a historical fantasy that is a really big twist on a common area to work on right now. So uh, there's a lot of material out there on this particular kind of story or kind of mythology, but we're, we're taking a completely different spin on it. And so when I pitched it to my editor, Maya, and uh, said, okay, here's what I want to do, I, I kind of remember her thought was, yeah, that's, that's really different. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now with that though, you're kind of like, all right, is that a good different? Are you going with it? Are you turning away from me? What are you doing? <laughs>
0: I sent her the script. I said, okay, tell me what you think. You know, her response was like, yeah, this could really work. And of course, like we are talking about earlier with the editorial process, she was like, okay, these things are really good, but you could probably use these things here to kind of help the character kind of just express a of more personality because that might be really important, you know, as as it kind of develops. I think it's really important for the character's personality to to step out. Right. And I, I fought around it a little bit, you know, because I, I was like, I, I know where I want to go with this. And she's like, maybe you should have a pet, you know? And I was like, no, you should not have a pet, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> See, this is the stuff that I really feel like these are the conversations that, as a reader, you don't realize are going on. And sometimes I don't realize it's going on. Because, like I said, sometimes you look at a comic, you read it. And you you go from there. You don't really think about the decisions or the discussions or even sometimes the arguments that went on behind the scenes of some of the stuff that got in there, how much of it was fought for.
0: <laughs> so imagine this, we're arguing about whether or not this character should have a pet. I'm like, no. And then I was like, that's you know, so funny. I gave myself a few days and I was like, you know what? I think she's right. <laughs> so So I think one of the latest additions to the script was that this this character effectively has a pet now, and 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 uh, and I read that part of the script. I'm like, wow, that's that's really helpful, actually. That's really really helpful. Um, so yeah, you just never know. I mean, it's all about having those voices that kind of help you to kind of again craft and, and help your vision to come across because there are certain things about his personality that came to the forefront, you know, and seeing how he treats animals, right? right. So I think that was the interesting thing. This an interesting level to bring to to this particular story. So, so yeah, it's a historical fantasy that, uh, is a great spin on a, a, a common uh, thing right now. Um, uh, and we're just, uh, going to do something that I think would be really exciting.
1: You know, we've been talking about the Kickstarter and one of the big portions of the Kickstarter, of course, are the perks. So I figured before we close out, let's get into a little bit of what some of the people can expect with some of the perks that you have for this.
0: Yeah. So I think one of the ways that we want to design this campaign was to, allow people to sort of pledge and back the project that they feel most drawn to. For example, with this mystery project that we're working on, uh, it will be fully unveiled about midway in the campaign. You know, roughly around the midpoint of the campaign, we're going to reveal what the actual project is. We're going to maybe even show a little bit of the artwork. And then, you know, hopefully that will also give us some, some additional momentum too. But this campaign was designed in a way to kind of think, again, as sort of like an objective publisher, we want to give the people the opportunity to back the exact project they want to back. And then a step above that is certainly if you love all four projects and you want to back them all, that's great. And you basically can pledge towards this package deal where you get all four projects as they're released. So essentially, it becomes a subscription model where you're basically getting something new every uh, few months. And, uh, it's a substantial work. It's not just, you know, like, a like a, like a 10 pager, for example, right? The very first project in the queue, of course, is revolting. And that's a, that's a substantial novel, right? So you're getting that. And then you're getting nowhere, man, roughly around, uh, late spring. Then you're getting moon's ostrich and you're getting, um, this fourth project, which, you know, it's, it's a 20 pager, but it's going to be like a really nice 20 pager, you know? Um, so we're really excited about how uh, this campaign kind of gives people the opportunity to either back the exact project they want to back or get this sort of subscription model to to go along with what they what they want to see happen with the material that they're getting from us. Um, so I think one of the things that is really exciting about what we've kind of thought through for this campaign, too, is that, you know, we're, we're very transparent about this, is that we feel that we can achieve 9,000, and I really hope we do. But our, our real goal is to hit 20. So, you know, people tend to design these uh, stretch goals where uh, you can sort of, you know, like incrementally, you know, get up roughly around 2000 3000 to kind of get to, you know, something above what they're, what they're shooting for. Right. You know, our thinking maybe is a little bit different, which we're trying to a little bit new. So what we're saying is that we're essentially hedging our bets. You know, we think we can get to nine, but our real goal is 20 because once we hit 20, there are going to be some things that we really want to do. Like our basically our, our like our, if we had like a wish list of things we want to do, those things really come into reality at right around like twenty. So that's our real goal for this campaign. We want to hit uh twenty k, and when we do, it's gonna. I think it's gonna open up a lot of doors. Honestly, so we're we're really excited to see what would happen if we if we hit that mark.
1: Forward Comics has been growing, and it's been something of an honor to be able to kind of see that growth and that progression going on from the first time we talked to now and leading in the new year with this new initiative. And, you know, again, I'm trying, you know, you were talking about the doing the thing with Ray. I'm trying not to use, you know, the pun too much with your company. We both seem to be having this thing tonight. This is kind of funny.
0: <laughs> it's actually good because like it gives you like a lead way into one of the kind of cute and adorable parts i think in the story where that becomes like a thing we do a thing with that for like at least like a couple pages where it's kind of funny so again my brain is there so it just keeps uh it just keeps happening whenever i talk about it
1: (laughs) but again i'm just very proud of the work you've done and also just kudos to your team everybody involved any sort of creative endeavor you know like comics like yes you could do it yourself but it takes a lot to be willing to bring somebody on and to trust them that they can help bring that vision out.
0: It's exciting and scary at the same time. I think you know we're certainly uh, pushing ourselves to to see where this thing can really go and, and really you know trying to dream big, you know rather than trying to shrink in and sort of say okay Juan was fantastic now we just kind of just play it safe for a little bit you know which you know th- that was a bit of a temptation So sort of say okay we can just sort of. Re- post on this for a little while. But, um, you know, rather than doing that, I, I, I felt like this was really the time to kind of just really just go for it. So uh, yeah, I'm just hoping that's the case and, 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 and that our, our fans and that, uh, you know, new readers will come along and join us on this really fantastic journey that we're on, because it seems that every time we just kind of step out and do something that involves a little bit of risk, a little bit of uh, a little bit of faith, if you will, then you know, then it, it just seems to really materialize into something that you know is bigger than we could have ever imagined, you know. Right. And I think right. that was the case with Ron, and I, I just really hope that it, it kind of carries carries over as.